0: our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Hello again, friends. Welcome one more time to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russon. I'm your host. I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. And in our virtual studio today, we have Mr. Mark Malding from Charlotte, North Carolina. Mark is founder and president of Grace Life International, counseling and coaching ministry there. He's also an author, written a recent book, God's Best Kept Secret. And so welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here.
1: It's a pleasure to have you. Frank, you've been knowing Mark a long time. Tell us a little bit of an introduction about him and uh, don't pull any punches. Hang out <laughs> his dirty laundry if you can. There you go. Well, I
3: met Mark almost 30 years ago when I was at an internship in Atlanta What impressed me about Mark, to be honest with you, John, was a tender humility and yet a very secure knowledge of who he was and who Christ was in him. And over the years, we've grown to be good friends, uh, confidants. There are times I call him and bounce things off him. He has called me and bounced those things off of me. It's been a a wonderful relationship. I am especially indebted to Mark. Way back in 1992, he said, hey, let me show you a verse I've been looking at. And he showed me Romans 5.17. Oh, and wow! it was profound, uh, the Bible in miniature, and that launched my efforts to dig into that one verse, out of which came a conference, and later came my own book, Stunned by Grace. So, Mark, you started all that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mark, your introduction of our friend to that verse has had a profound impact on so many lives, so uh, there'll be fruit that you'll get to enjoy one day when we get to the kingdom. So thanks so much for that. So early years, Mark, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, How was it? What happened to shape you for adulthood? Anything meaningful? How did you come to Jesus? Just open up and let us have it.
2: You bet. Be glad to. So interestingly enough, I grew up in a home with a father who had an eighth grade education. He was a barber. My mom had a high school education. Yet, very smart people, hard working people. My mom was very caring and loving. My dad, very shy, very difficult time expressing love. In fact, I will tell you this, that my dad never told me he loved me until I was 19 years old. Oh, my. And I told him one day. And he responded back that he loved me. That's the first time I had heard that from him. After that, it's like the door opened and he was, I think he felt more comfortable saying those words to me, but that shaped me. And another thing about my dad, and he's with the Lord now, but I I've got permission to share these kinds of things just to honor him and respect him. But my dad was really good with his hands, really good at what he did. And I think he expected me to be the same way as a child, as a teenager. And uh, I wasn't. Uh, I'm I'm better at it today, but I wasn't. So when we would do a project, building something, cutting something, hammering, whatever it may have been, uh, I I always seemed to make a mistake. And rather than him coming and pointing it out and teaching me how to do it, in, in frustration, he would, do it for me. And he was always disappointed. And so what that did, it, it imprinted upon me the message that would carry on into my Christian life many years later. And that was, you need to try really hard to get it right. Hmm. That's what you need to do. You got you need to try really hard to get it right. And and, and that, was, uh, that was the fruit of that kind of interaction with him. Now, when I told him about that many years later, he said, oh, that's no way to treat a child. I'm sorry I did that. So he was unaware, like everybody has blind spots, and uh, he did as well. I think deep down he loved me, but just had difficulty. And hey, we all have something called the flesh, and he had his, and the flesh is always going to communicate rejection, but it, it did set me up for some things that would happen later that I will, I'll get into here in just a little while. As far as my salvation, I have quite a story for that, and you may be surprised I would say that because it occurred when I was nine years old. So in fact, let me back up a little bit. When I was about five years old, my mom took us to church. My dad was one of those guys who would not attend with us. And her story is, I don't remember this, but she said I kept begging him, you know, as a little boy will often do things about you know, with his dad to attend with us. And it was, I guess I was relentless. And he finally came. Well, in short order, he came to faith in Jesus. Oh my. Uh, it wasn't long at all. So we were in that same church, and I was nine years old, and we were coming home on a Sunday night. And I didn't know what it was at the time I do now, but I was feeling the presence of God in the car. And I was having this deep sense that he wanted something. And so it was so scary, to be honest with you, because I was I didn't understand it. And and, and not that it was a fearful thing. I just didn't understand it. I literally got down between the front seat in the floorboard and the back seat. And and in that place of the floorboard between front seat and back seat, I just kind of laid there and my mom noticed it. She said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, but I think it has something to do with God. And to her credit, she called our pastor. He came to our home and in our living room he shared the gospel with me and uh i was transferred out of adam into christ and and you began that journey with him
1: wow that's an interesting story so out of the blue you dragged your daddy to church he got saved i'm sure your mom and dad have been praying for you now for nigh on four years before this happened how did they respond to uh to this, I guess they sensed something was happening and jumped right in on the opportunity.
2: Uh, th- that is true. I mean, they, they certainly did, my mom in particular. And, you know, I don't recall much about their thoughts or feelings at that time, but it certainly was a positive thing. It certainly wasn't negative. They certainly were happy as a Christian parent would be, especially.
1: So you're transferred from Adam into Christ. Started attending church probably with a brand new perspective, at least as much as a nine-year-old can can grasp at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your walk like? What was it like? Anything change? Uh, just talk about your journey a little. Well, uh, being,
2: I was one of those kids that was a pretty good kid before yeah. that, <laughs> after that. I
1: wasn't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so as far as any dramatic change, there wasn't a lot of dramatic change at all. I did begin to get to know the Bible a little bit just because of us attending worship and Sunday school and those kind of things in the day. I think when there began to be some real interest and upward movement, so to speak, in my spiritual life was when I was a sophomore in high school Hmm. and I played basketball and we had a guy on our team. His name is Hal Mayer, and he was incredibly vocal about his faith in Jesus. I mean, he wasn't shy at all. Uh, somewhat boisterous about it. And he didn't care who we talked with on the team. He was talking about Jesus and he did me too. And uh, back in that day, we would actually have prayer before we had our games. You know, I was a sophomore. I got to play occasionally. And so Hal said to me one day, hey, when it's come time for prayer, why don't you pray? And it scared me to death. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I've ever prayed out loud in my entire life. And so when it came that time, I froze and I didn't volunteer to do that. And he just gave me a dirty look afterwards. But that's not necessarily a negative thing. He would continue to speak things into my life about my relationship with Jesus. And really the first guy I knew that did that, an older guy especially. So it started me on a journey of really wanting to know the Lord better, wanting to know scripture better, And uh, in in short order, within a year or two, I began to be very vocal about my own faith in Jesus in in my own high school.
1: Wow. Cool turning point. Frank, it sounds like a little bit like your experience when you uh, lived a rougher life than than Mark had, but uh, you had the same, almost like flipping a switch. The light goes on and all of a sudden you're a little dynamo for Jesus.
3: (laughs) Yeah, we uh, started a fellowship of Christian athletes group on the campus and we had four people, <laughs> a president, a mm-hmm. vice president, a secretary, <laughs> a <treasure. laughs> but it was crazy. Within a semester, we had over 200 kids showing up and wow. it, was, it was just something like, okay, Lord, I th- I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm. So Kind of neat. And, you know, Mark, as he went on, went into the ministry. So and became a pastor. So uh, maybe Mark, you can tell us a little about that.
2: Yeah, I'd be glad to. So, uh. Just to kind of set that up, uh, when I was 19 years old, I already told you about hugging my dad for the first time. Right. Well, the reason that was something I really just spontaneously did that day and wanted to do is because of what happened in the beginning of the summer. My mom had a book by Jack Taylor called The Key to Triumph Living, and so I pulled that out during the summer uh, between my freshman and sophomore year in college. I read it in just a few days, and as I recall at the end of the book, Jack Taylor says, hey, if you would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what you want to do. Ask God to show you any sins you have not confessed to him. Surrender to him and say, I'm yours, what you want with me, and ask him to fill you. So I said, okay, I can do that, and I did, and in that moment, there was nothing, but the next morning, when I went to read the Bible, all of a sudden, it was a brand new book, and the things I was reading, I couldn't get enough of the Bible, I couldn't get enough of the scriptures, I just wanted to read it, and read it, and it's like every sentence was jumping off the page of the Bible into my heart, and in my, I just enjoyed it, and it, and in it, and it, It it was a burning uh, desire to really get to know him. So at that point, the, the reality of Jesus loving me and his relationship with me just became incredibly a revelation to me. And I guess you could say I was I was experiencing the beginning to experience Christianity as God intended, which was to live this love relationship with the one who lives in us. So that's the beginning of the summer. Unfortunately, by the end of the summer, that kind of got turned upside down. I was dating a gal, and her mom wanted me to go to this seminar. And she just thought it was just the greatest thing. And it was at the Omni, which was the the basketball arena for the Atlanta Hawks uh, at the time. And so I went to this, and not knowing scripture well, not having anyone to mentor me in what it meant to you know, have Christ as my life, living in me, to living from him and not for him. I thought what I heard was just the next thing. What I didn't realize was I was being ambushed by the enemy. I was being ambushed by legalism and religion. And after a while, that joy I had experienced earlier in that summer over the next few years, it would begin to subside and Christianity would become a great burden to me because the teaching at this seminar was, in essence, if something's wrong in your life, you need to find out what the principle in scripture is that you're missing and you need to follow that. And it went on to say, if you follow that, then God will take care of that problem. Well, in essence, what he was saying was, you do A and God will do B, which is really what legalism is all about. It's the false belief that if you do the right thing, remember, my whole thing is getting it right. Remember that
1: right. Uh-huh. you do the right thing, then God will do the right thing as well. So that must have sounded really familiar to you based on uh, your, your earlier experiences with your dad.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I taught the, the message of Jesus and his new covenant for decades now And my staff and I have counseled people through the years. And one of the things I began to realize in my life and the lives of all these people we helped was, I think one of the ploys of the enemy is to insert lies into our mind. And I think usually it's fairly young. And then he repeats them over and over and over through different circumstances. And they're just thoughts that come into our head. But it's like he interprets those situations through that belief. Right, And so again, you're right. It was, Hey, got to get it right for dad. Now I got to get it right for God. And then later I got to get it right for me. And I got to get it right for everybody else because I, as Frank said, I did become a pastor a little bit later on.
1: Yeah. It's amazing how he, uh, once he puts a hook in our mouth, the enemy I'm talking about now, he tries to reel us in and feeds us the same bait over and over and over again. And sometimes it takes an absolute miracle to get us to open our eyes, which is what Jesus wants to do for all of us, open our mm-hmm. eyes. So right. the pastor gig, tell us about that. Yeah. So one summer I'd
2: actually been accepted into the school of pharmacy at the university of Georgia, but the summer prior to me, beginning in the fall in that school was a time where all summer long, I prayed just one prayer, God, show me what you want to do in my life. I'll do whatever you want. Just show me what you want to do with my life. And I prayed that literally every day. And then one day uh, I was reading in uh, John six and in John six, I came across the scripture and this is the King Jimmy version. And it says, this is Jesus. He says, labor, not for the meat or food, which perishes, But for the meat which endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give you. Well, when I read that, the Holy Spirit said, This is for you. This is the answer to your prayer. And this is what I want you to do. I do not want you to give your life just for making money. I want you to give your life for things that last forever into eternity. And so I knew at that point that He was telling me, You're going to be in ministry. And I just assumed that was pastoring, so I went to uh, the University of Georgia, I changed majors, uh, first day of school, got out as soon as I could, and then ended up going to seminary. went on staff at a church, a pretty good-sized church where I was the uh, youth pastor, got to preach quite a bit. People seemed to enjoy that, be blessed by it, and met my wife there, which was totally awesome and then left there after five years and did a church plant and began to be the pastor of Mm -hmm.
1: of a church. Wow. So how many years did you pastor before you begin to realize that Christ is more than just your savior? He was actually your life.
2: Yeah. So when I went to do the church plant, I was already struggling quite a bit. My second year of seminary, I began to sink down into discouragement and depression because I could not pull off the you do A and God does B very well. I was getting tired. It was very stressful on me. It was stressful on my body. And so that was my mindset going into being a youth pastor. And then when I did the church plant, it was still there. But I was sinking deep down. Uh, more and more and more, and uh, my life was kind of unraveling from the inside. So the second year I was starting this church as the pastor, I got so tired, uh, literally couldn't sleep. I tell you a, a story that's kind of funny and kind of not. Uh, I, I I was so into the legalism that when I would read the Bible, my stomach would hurt. Oh I don't think the Bible is supposed to make your stomach hurt. You know, I mean, it's, I don't think that's the intent, but it's because I read the Bible through the lens of all I was not doing that I should be doing. And so the guilt and condemnation were just destroying me for literally from the inside out. And, and there were physical
1: um, consequences of that as well. That's a that's an amazing response to stress. It's so common. In a lot of people and a lot of circumstances, their their stomach just reacts to the stressful situation. I've never heard anyone say that it came from reading God's loving letter to us.
2: Just shows how skewed my view of God and the Bible were. Right. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, Frank, I've never had a bellyache when you preached. So I guess that's good. <laughs> Yeah, oh, maybe a headache, but not a Maybe a, belly a headache. headache, yeah, but never a bellyache. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, Mark, we, we interrupted. Continue, please. Oh, that's
2: okay. That's fine. Well, my desperation brought me to a place where I said, I can't figure out what's wrong. I'm doing everything I've been taught to do and disciple to do. I don't get it. I share the gospel with everything that moves and doesn't move one-on-one evangelism type thing. I read the scriptures every day fast, you know, about once a month. I memorize scripture. Of course, I'm a pastor. So I, I preach, I pray a decent amount of time and yet I wasn't getting anywhere. And, and so my, my resolute hope was, it was ill-advised to put it that way, because what I did, I thought, well, I just need to do more. So here we are. We're back again to getting it right. Oh, yeah. And so I literally, seriously, I redoubled my efforts in all those areas. I went from, you know, praying like 30 minutes a day to an hour. And by the way, I mean, if the spirit of God is leading you to do that, it's awesome. But spirit of God wasn't leading me to do this. I was just looking for relief. I was looking for some kind of victory. I was looking for God to show me he loved me more. In fact, behind it all, what I was really looking for is I wanted God to, you know, kind of look at me and say, hey, you're my boy. I'm proud of you. That's what was really behind it. And and kind of like I wanted with my dad.
1: Yeah, your daddy never said it. So uh, you wanted it Mm -hmm. from your heavenly father.
2: Yep, that's right. Well, that finally just sent me into tailspin and uh, I, I couldn't continue. And Ellen, my wife and I, we were laying in the bed one evening, having some pillow talk. I'm looking at the ceiling and I'm telling her, I'm saying, something's wrong. I, I don't get it. It's just, this Christianity thing is not working, but I don't know what to do. And really interesting, God gave her some insight in the moment that I didn't, I didn't really fully understand at the time, came to later. But she said, I think your problem is acceptance. she said, I want you to read that book over there. She wasn't pointing to the Bible. And thankfully, because the Bible made my stomach hurt. And she was pointing to a book called Search for Significance. I said, I've read that book. She said, well, I know, but I just think you need to read it again. So we stopped talking. She falls asleep. And uh, I'm laying in the bed. I did not read the book, by the way, uh, just so you'll know. I'm just laying there looking at the ceiling. And it's dim. And I'm thinking... How in the heck did I get here? And I wasn't praying. I wasn't thinking about God, to be honest with you. I wasn't thinking about the Bible. I was just thinking about how miserable I was. And I, and I, didn't, I didn't see a way out. I'm laying there, and out of the blue, this voice, quote, unquote, came into my head. And here was what the voice said. Mark, even if this church fails, I still accept you. And the quality of that sentence, I knew wasn't coming from me. I knew it wasn't spurred on by what Ellen had said. I wasn't making this up, but it showed that she was in tune with the spirit And now Father was saying it much more plainly to me. And it's interesting. He didn't say, I love you. He said, I accept you. And the reason I think that's so important is when you're trying to get it right all the time, you're never really sure you've gotten it right. And if you don't get it right, you don't think you're right. And if you don't think you're right, you don't think you're acceptable and and you're not even sure God accepts you. So it was significant in that moment. I woke up the next day. And th- there was a dramatic shift within me because the love of our father was so overpowering. I, I can only describe it like it- as if I were this huge gushing fountain and the water, the love of God just was coming up in me. And it was almost like it was coming up through me and washing over me. And it was definitely an experience. I can't describe it any other way. And and this This experience of his love for me went on like that day after day for weeks and weeks. And I think probably the biggest change was not only my own freedom that I began to experience from, you know, legalism and religion and and a return to loving scripture and uh, things like that. One day Ellen came up to me and at this point we had been married for about three years going on four and she unsolicited came up to me and she said, I want you to know something. I know something's happened because I feel accepted by you for the first time since we've been married. Wow. Cool. Man. When your wife says something like that, you, you know, something's happened. To yeah. You, something's right? changed. Wow.
1: Well, you know, you said something, Mark, that I'm sitting here and I'm just stunned. I'm sure as a pastor and a seminary grad, you knew that God loved you because scripture says so, so many times. Mm -hmm. But no matter how many times scripture said it, it didn't register until you first believed he accepted you. You know, as parents and as humans, we love all kinds of people who are total failures. So the love of God, which is transforming, couldn't really get a hold in you because you didn't believe he accepted you. But once you understood he accepted you and that you were okay exactly as you are, it sort Mm -hmm. of opened the floodgates. Am I getting this right? Opened the floodgates to his love and they just sort of overwhelmed you. Like acceptance was a dam holding back his love. And once you grasp that, uh, you got the full bore of what he had for you. That's a pretty impressive story. And our listeners who are out there, you know that God loves you but you know what's so equally important, even more important sometimes to recognize that he accepts you just the way you are. You don't have to do a single thing more for him to be proud of you as your kid. Uh, Father, would you please open the doors in the lives of the believers who are struggling with this right now and let them believe in their heart of hearts that the truth about how you feel about them, that you accept them, Mm -hmm. Father, may they then bask in your love as it floods over them. What a powerful story, Mark Frank, that'll preach, won't it? Yes, sir. Uh, Acceptance, I think, may
3: be the rarest virtue in our planet. You know, I hear people all the time saying, well, I, I knew my mom and dad loved me but I didn't know they accepted me. And I, I kind of look at it as almost as if acceptance is almost the verb of love. It's the expression of love in such a way that we're able to lay hold of the love.
1: Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, it really sure does. does. That's a good way of putting it like that. Yeah. So miraculous happened. The dam is broken. What changed, my friend? I mean, obviously, your wife noticed something, but you're in a pastor now. So what changed? Well,
2: <laughs> it, some sins just, I mean, literally fell off that I, I just didn't deal with them anymore. That was, one, that was a very personal thing. And I snicker because I went back to the church and on a Sunday morning. I think the next Sunday, I apologized to the church. And I I didn't describe what had happened to me yet, but I said, I've come to understand that I have been preaching legalism to you, and I'm sorry, forgive me, that's going to change. Wow. And I think they were stunned and didn't quite know what to say and didn't say anything. But but my preaching, it instantly changed. It, It immediately began to change. And as I saw things in scripture, like the in Christ phrase that's so prevalent throughout the New Testament, I think it's 33 times, maybe 36, them were there in Ephesians alone. It was just, I would see it everywhere as I read the New Testament. And so I would preach on those kind of things. One of the things that happened, I'll, I'll tell you this story, is later down the road, probably a year later, I came to them again to apologize, and I said, I want you to know that I have been preaching law, legalism to you about giving, and I want to preach it from a grace perspective today, so I said, uh, I don't think tithing is what God wants us to do under grace. I think we're free from that, so I, I preached on grace giving, and at the end, I said, Rather than you just say, I'm going to tithe, I just want you to go home and pray if you're married, talk with your spouse and come to a real, in your heart, a place where you know you want to give and whatever amount that is. Um, and so I got to tell you, I was scared because we we're, we're oh, a yeah. church plant. Yeah, we're a church plant.
1: And so and, what happened?
2: Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, the giving increased. (laughs) It increased. And I've told that to a few pastors through the years that I've coached and mentored in the message. One guy told me he did the same thing and the giving doubled
1: in his church. Yeah. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, Frank?
3: Yes, sir. I think when people, it's really that they've been set free to love It's that one of the tangible ways to express love back to God and you can't be required to love or it's not love. And, you know, giving at that point, I think actually becomes an issue of worship. And it's just a response. That's all it is.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, scripture Mm -hmm. says plainly that God loves a cheerful giver. And I can imagine that most people who give under a sense of bondage, aren't very cheerful about it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, To me, it's a matter of joy uh, to give a part of the blessing that he's given me. Uh, I no longer wonder where to put it because I trust him to tell me where to give it. And so uh, I spoke with a lady not too long ago who said, I feel so guilty because I know that I should give to my local church. God tells me to give to my local church. Of course, we explored that a little bit later as well. But she said, I feel so guilty because I don't want to. I want to give to this other ministry, but he's not in my church. And so I don't know what to do. And I'm absolutely miserable. And I said, so we had a little chat and we talked about the joy of giving and following what the Holy Spirit leads you to do and then resting in him that it's the right thing because he's got inside you. How can he be wrong? Interesting. So many people are tied up with that same thing. Mark, that's a wonderful story and a wonderful lesson. My goodness. Thank you so much for that. Okay, we've got a few more minutes. And by the way, we're going to come back for a second episode and pick up some of these trails. But I want to ask you, Mark, one last question before we sign off this episode. You've talked about apologizing to a church. Doesn't happen very often. You took the bold step of uh, preaching grace giving. Doesn't happen very often. You talked about the importance of acceptance. What a wonderful freeing thought. If you had one supreme revelation to give to our listeners today, what would it be?
2: For me, that's an easy one, because it comes out of a question that I often ask people. Sometimes I'll do it rhetorically when I'm preaching or teaching. Other times I'll do it when I'm counseling or coaching someone. And I'll ask them this question. Why did Jesus come to live inside you? And it's interesting the different responses I get. Well, to save me, well, true. Uh, to forgive me, yeah, that's true. And I'll only know on, it goes, get me into heaven. Oh, that's true. And so I'll just let them rattle off whatever you know they, they say. And most of it's correct. But then I'll come back around and say, what if he came in you to love you from the inside and have a relationship? What if that's why he really came in? What if that's the main reason he came in? And in almost every case, you can see the light go on for people. Mm. It goes on for people. So if I'm going to give one thing today, and there's a lot of things I could give, I would, I would encourage everyone who listens to this podcast to really think about that. And it's, it kind of comes out of Ephesians 3. There's a prayer there where Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians that the spirit will strengthen them and in their inner man so Christ will live in their heart through faith, which is interesting because I used to think, well, he already does. But what the Lord showed me was, well, yeah, that, that no, most people know the fact, but they don't know how to live by faith in him because it goes on to say the reason you could do that is the love of God is revealed to you in Christ. And his love is in us because he's in us. So I think that's the one takeaway that I would I would give out today.
1: Wow. Great thought. Thanks, Mark. Pastor Frank, as usual, any last comments that you sense that you want to share with our listeners? Just
3: this thought, Mark. I did the same thing i stood up asked forgiveness confessed that we had been doing church wrong and you know for a pastor that's really a big deal because you're the guy that's supposed to be right you're teaching the truth of father's word but you know i think when we understand that christ is our life We get freed from ourselves. We can admit that we're wrong. Uh, We can admit that we don't have it all together as we embrace our supreme mission, which is leading people to the face of Jesus, not Mm -hmm. just as savior, but as life. And it's a huge deal to be able to do that and say, you know, I was leading you to yourself. I was leading you to your own performance. I was leading you to a code of ethics. Well, now I'm going to lead you to the one who loves you and wants to be everything to you. And it wasn't a hard thing for me to do that on that Sunday. I kind of think it wasn't a hard thing for you either. Shock the daylights out of people, <laughs> but it wasn't a hard thing to do.
1: That's right. I remember being in the audience and saying, wow, I don't know what this guy's saying, but he's definitely got something that I don't have and I need to find out more. So uh, thank you, Father, for the miraculous courage in both these men's lives to, to admit their mistake in front of their flock and then to trust you to be their shepherd so that they could be better shepherds to those you put under them. And folks, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Our host has been Mark Balding, founder and president of Grace Life International. Check him out at gracelifeinternational.com. And you can check us out too at ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on our various uh, social media channels. And once again, uh, we remind you today and always to choose hope, choose Jesus.
0: Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.